0: It's so easy to hide it in a bushel, isn't it? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for that ministry and song as it prepared us to hear from thy word. Father, I pray that we might be receptive to it, our ears might be open unto thy truth, and may our hearts allow your Holy Spirit to use it and penetrate our minds and our attitudes and our actions to bring glory to your name, we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's go back to the book of 1 John. 1 John, we continue our series here in chapter 3. We pick it up again in chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at this morning verses 4 to 10, 4 to 10. And here now, John gets to a point where he he wants to make something clear to the believers. Remember, he's writing to believers here, okay, and that is so important. Uh, and this is this passage itself uh, has been a controversial passage for centuries, okay? Uh, it has caused divisions, it caused people to separate and start new denominations and everything else. So uh, so some of you may have already preconceived thoughts and interpretations of this passage, but I'm going to share um, what... what uh, I believe this passage says, according to um, the the sound uh, evangelical uh, Bible scholars who have uh, translated scripture and have written about this and commentators. Uh, so let us begin. And there, again, the, the reason John is writing, he wants to, t- two things. He wants to encourage a believer. Secondly, though, he wants to warn them about deception, okay? So circle that word deception because we're going to get to it in here. Verse 4. He writes, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. The King James Version, if you have that, it's translated Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth transgresseth against the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Now, right away, he pulls out the word sin, and he's going to talk about sin. But it's important to know that as he begins this particular part of his letter, he uses the word practices. That's very key to understanding this particular scripture. He says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, if you were just strictly taking the King James, and, and you did not do any study of the Greek or the real meaning of the, the Greek words here, and the word for sin... Uh, this is where people suddenly got off on a, on a different tangent and, and took something from the passage that it's not saying and built their own doctrine around it. Uh, because if you take it at, at the way it's written and you just read it, what would you think when you first read that? Well, we're going to see later that it, it, it comes into play more when he doesn't use the word practices. Now, the King James Version there, in verse 4, it said, Whosoever committeth, committeth sin. Okay? Committeth sin. Do you commit sin? I commit sin. We're all sinners saved by grace, right? So if I were to take that and read that, Whosoever committed sin, yeah, I sinned today. Well, he transgresses the law. Yes, I transgress God's law. So we understand that. But uh, if you go to the Greek, that that word sin there or commit a sin, that phrase commit a sin, means to practice it. To practice it. In other words, Sin is a, is a way of life for the individual, okay? They, they, they made a profession of faith. They, they uh, came into the church, attended church, but nothing in their life really changed. You have never seen any differences. You haven't seen any transformation in their life, in their behavior, the things they do. And so this is what John is trying to to point to because the doctrine of the Gnosticists were coming in. Gnosticism was making its way into the church, and Gnosticism predates Christianity. And so once the gospel got here, well, the, the Gnostics then decided, you know, they would take what they believe and they'll take some of Christianity and mix it. And that's exactly what every cult does. It will take some truth, but it will take error and put it together and make it into a nice little package so it looks real good. And it sounds Christian. And it sounds like the right thing. But the this false doctrine uh, gnosticism, uh, sadly, it, it has the idea of, uh, of you can arrive at sinless perfection in your life. There must be a place if, if you see all this, as, as John will read about it, there must be a place where uh, in your life, where you can have, you can arrive at sinless perfection. And uh, this has gained momentum uh, through cults and, and denominations today. Uh, and uh, I, let me relate one story to you from a pastor. Pastor writes, one lady attended a church I pastored. She assured anyone who would listen that she was sinless. She would interrupt the sermon on Sunday morning and start whining, whining and getting all weepy. And she would ask if she could give a testimony. What followed was 100% self-serving rubbish, he says. She got to gossiping, and I, from the pulpit, I had to ask her to stop. Any women want to speak now? No. <laughs> This, but this really occurred. I told her that the Bible teaches that gossip is sin. Her reply? Well, it was an error of the head, not of the heart. <laughs> I assume some holiness preacher invented this loophole, and she grabbed onto it. I asked the lady to sit in the pew and just listen for a few Sundays. She then took her henpecked husband and went back to her previous church inside the city. Well, the preacher from that church sent word by a friend of mine that he hoped I would get her to return to his church. (laughs) The lady was such a bad pest there in her own denomination. (laughs) You see, this is what's been going on, and uh, a, a denomination today, very prominent denomination. This is in their doctrinal statement. Okay, just to get an, a, a grasp of what we're talking, what John's trying to talk about, and what he's trying to warn the believers and warn us about today. Um, this certain denomination, this church, believes and teaches the doctrine of entire sanctification or sinless perfection. The church believes that a a person who has been saved and born again can achieve sinless perfection in this lifetime. In an act subsequent to trusting Christ for salvation, which some call the baptism of the Holy Spirit or second blessing, one is said to be cleansed at that moment from all inward sin. And it is eradicated when one is baptized with the Holy Spirit sometime after conversion or have a second blessing. Then they go on and say, this sinless person can still commit involuntary, inescapable shortcomings, infirmities, faults, mistakes, failures, or other deviations from a standard of perfect conduct that are residual of the fall. However, such innocent effects do not include attitudes or responses contrary to the Spirit of Christ, which may be properly called sins of the Spirit. You see what they're saying? They're saying is, yeah, yeah, you'll reach a certain point of sinless perfection in your spirit, but your body's still going to do what it wants to do. And so whatever you do with your body, you're going to call it a mistake, shortcomings, faults. Isn't that what people use instead of the word sin today? That's what they use. Oh, I made a mistake. God says it's sin. Well, it, it, it was a fault. No, it was a shortcoming. Uh, It was a failure. No, according to God, it was a sin. And that's what the Gnostics were doing. They were coming in and teaching this to these new believers. And John was getting wind of this. And it was really shaking them. It had shaken so many uh, that John had had to write about it. So let's go back here. All right, so we now move to verse 5. Look at verse 5. And you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Notice that he, he right away points to Christ. He immediately begins pointing the church to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, remember why he came. He appeared in order to take away sin. And so if he takes away sin, then that means he gives us the ability not to sin, but not to a place where we have our sin nature eradicated. That will only take place when we get to heaven. When we leave this earth, we still have the two natures. But when you were saved, you received the new nature of Christ. Christ gave you a new nature, a new spirit. But you've got the old one in there and they do battle sometimes. They do battle sometimes. But if you are a true believer this morning, that new nature is always going to try and win. Even though the old nature will rear its ugly head and say, um, okay, come on, come on. How about these things you used to do? You loved them. You know, your old life. Look what the fun you're missing. You know, remember your attitudes? You could just blow up, and uh, you know, and lose your temper. How good that felt. You know, that's the old nature in us. And of course, Satan gets behind that and tempts us to do that. And yet, Yet John is saying, Jesus came to, uh, he died to take away those sins. And then he says at the end of verse five, in him there is no sin. So he's holding Jesus as the only one that is sinless and perfect. And what are we to be? We're to be like him. But now John is going to be, Pointing uh, to those Gnostics who were sneaking into the church, who were part of the church, and and trying to sway people away, um, he, he's going to speak directly to those who were were teachers, you know, and 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 maybe they were they were the kind of people that were were just very influential in the church, but they. But they came with this doctrine of the Gnostics where basically they believe that the spirit is good but the body is bad. Okay? So they're two separate things. Your spirit's good. If you, if you believe in Jesus, yay, your spirit, you're going to heaven. That's, that's sinless, perfect. So inside of you, you know, you're sinless because Jesus took care of the spirit in you. Ah, but the body. Well, see, that, that's all corrupt. That's what they, they were teaching. That, that's all corrupt. It's sin-cursed. It's, it's, sin it's going to end up in the grave. We're all decaying. So the body does what it wants. And so you might as well just let it do what it wants. But you're not really sinning. But your spirit, because your spirit is sinless inside you. You Do you see the craziness of this? But this is what they were teaching. And so therefore, there were those who were professing to be saved and be Christians. And here they are. They're going to church, sitting there Sunday morning, you know, pretending like they're like everybody else. But then if you watch their life, they lived a life of depravity. They lived a a life of, of sin, their behavior. Their behavior and attitudes never matched up with the word of God. In fact, they continually lived in sin. They continually practiced sin. And that's what John is talking about when he uses the word practice or when he uses the word sin here. He's talking about a, a, habit, a person who habitually sins all the time. That there's no place where they go. They feel a sense of guilt. They feel the sense of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or, or you know, and, and, and they, they just go, you know, something grabs them. And, and they can't do it without guilt if they sin. That is, that is a sign of a true believer. Now, what about a prodigal? Okay? Because right away we think, well, does that mean that all prodigals are not saved? Because they, they go away for a while and they, they live in sin or they do their own thing? No. Remember the, the story of the prodigal son when Jesus gave that? The son went away. Right? But what finally happened? He didn't stay away for good. He came back. He was a son. He came back. He came to the end of himself. He was remorseful. He was repentant. And he came back humbly to his father. And what did his father do? Opened his arms and welcomed him back. Yes, there are those believers who slip into a prodigal type of, uh, of time in their life. They can do that. But the Lord is ready to welcome them back. But John is talking about somebody who is faking it. Someone who is out there faking it, attending church, but you watch their life and the way they're living. There's no difference between them and the life they were living before they were saved. And so John is trying to nip the Gnosticism here and trying to straighten out the truth here, bring the truth out concerning these lies. Okay? Um, I, I sort of view it like this. Um, s- s- someone may be involved in, uh, or say, organized crime okay anybody here involved no don't raise your hand um but someone who's involved in organized crime i'm from philly so i had my brush with those guys not really but i like to say so but but in philly you, you know organized crime is big in all this, all the cities um but if you were part of organized crime. What were you basically? Well, you were basically nice to everybody. You played the part. You came across as a good guy. But you were living a life of committing crime on a daily basis without any thought, without any guilt or remorse. It was your lifestyle. It was your lifestyle. And so it is with those certain ones who will profess to be Christians but they're living a lifestyle that when you look into it or they can they reveal themselves many times and for for what they truly are they are not truly born again not truly saved. So let's go to verse 6. If you go to verse 6 with me No one who abides in him sins. And him is speaking of Jesus. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Okay, so here John comes to use... It's translated in the English sins, okay? He doesn't put the word practices sins here, but basically it means the same thing. When he uses the word sins here, he's talking about habitual lifestyle sinning, continual sinning with no, no stopping. Okay? So he's saying, he who abides in Christ, he says, no one who abides in Christ sins. See, now, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, if you took that verse just the way it's written, you would go away going, well, I guess I'm not saved, right? Wouldn't you start thinking that, maybe you start doubting yourself, maybe I'm not saved because I just sinned. And it says here that, if it, it says n- no one, who if, if i'm really abiding in jesus i'm not going to do it i'm not going to sin at all and here's that sinless perfection thing that if i take it that way well then if i sin if i'm saved and then i sin i must lose my salvation bang it's gone then i've got to try and earn my salvation again and and try not to sin and that god will give me my salvation back but I better not sin. And you see the guilt trip that some Christians have been put on because of the, because of the way this is, has been interpreted. But again, he's talking about practicing sin. You see the word abide there. That's one of John's favorite words. No one who abides in him sins. Now that word who abides in him Here, he's not just using that word, talking about fellowship with Jesus, like on a daily basis. You know, um, the Greek word here is meno for abide, okay? And that literally means to remain or stay, continues, or lives. Now, the word abide... um, has been used by John uh, in other occasions to mean a Christian's just fellowship daily with, with the Lord Jesus. Do you remember back in John 15, what Jesus said to the disciples? John was there and he said, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me, what? Brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. When Jesus was using the word abide there, he was was talking about fellowship. But here John is using it in reference to positional abiding. And the best way I can explain this is is if we go and, and think of, of what sanctification is and means in the scriptures, okay, and and I we brought this out in previous studies, but sanctification. Remember, there's there's that word sanctif- sanctify or sanctification, which means to be set apart unto God, to be set apart unto Him. Okay, I'm the I belong to the Lord now. But remember, we discussed that there is. Two, parts, two types of sanctification, basically. There is positional sanctification. That's the moment I'm saved and I have become a child of God. I've given my heart to him. I've, I've received him as my Savior, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to indwell me by his Spirit. At that moment, I am sanctified forever and ever. I have been set apart into the family of God and called a child of God. That is a a positional sanctification, okay? A one-time thing that happened. But then the word is also used, sanctification, in this way. There is a progressive sanctification in your life. What does that mean? It means that as I go through my Christian life and, and um, I'm, I'm seeking to please the Lord, I am seeking to keep myself separated from sin and the world and seeking to please him. That's my desire. And so as that is my desire, I am progressive, progressing daily in sanctification in the way I'm living, I, tomorrow I hope that I'm acting more like Jesus than I was today. And if I do that, that's progressive sanctification. All right? Sometimes you slip back, sometimes you move forward, but it's it's the walk of the Christian until we get to heaven. And then, of course, there is the ultimate perfect sanctification when we are glorified in heaven. But I wanted you to to try and understand the word abide here, what John's trying to use here. The way he uses it here is talking about that permanent positional abiding of the believer, okay? So with that in mind, he, he then says, and you might say, those who are truly saved in him, no he's talking about those who are truly saved, no one who is truly saved in him sins Continually, that means without any, any guilt, without any for, uh, confession, no repentance. No one who sins then or practices sin in their life all the time has seen him or knows him. Now, when he says seen him or seen Jesus, he's talking about spiritually seeing him, you know, coming to faith in Christ and then having that spiritual image of him because you've come to know him as Savior. So he's basically pointing out two different kinds of people. He's talking about those who are truly saved and those who are walking around trying to fake it. Okay, And he's trying to warn them of those who are faking it and will come around and try and sway you to think that you can live any way you want. Hey, live it up. We're under grace, right? We're under grace. you're forgiven. Your spirit, you've got a new spirit, you're, you're holy inside. Hey, this body is, is, is cursed, it's sinful. The material things are sinful. so, so let it go. you know? And, and, and then the, it won't touch what you do with your body won't touch your spirit. Do you see what what, what he's trying to say here? So he's trying, and then verse 7, look at verse 7. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. There's the word deceive, deception. Let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. There's the word practice again. Because his seed, God's seed, abides in him, the gospel. And he cannot sin. Now, there again, people taking that, he cannot sin. They go, well, I guess you can reach sinless perfection. But know again, that word there refers to he cannot habitually, continually, without ending sin, live a sinful life because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil, verse 10, are obvious. See, obvious. How do you tell someone is? saved and truly saved and not well it's by how they practice what they practice in their life do they practice righteousness or do they practice sin there are children he, he makes it clear verse 10 There are children of god and children of the devil and you can notice the difference right and so he basically saying those people are coming in pretending to be christians but they're 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 living. in in absolute sin and depravity but they come in and they're trying to say hey come on you can do anything you want get out there and, and live it up you know that they're lying to you and John is saying they're actually children of Satan because God doesn't have them they haven't been truly born again but if we have the new nature the Holy Spirit that lives inside you and in me will not let me keep on going down a path of sin. I mean, to live my old way, to live my old life, and and, and, and just say, you know, and, and then finally uh, people say there's no difference in him. And they realize that he was never truly born again. This person was never truly born again. But notice uh, that... John now points to the devil, and he talks about him in verse 8, that he has sinned from the beginning. He's a sinner from the beginning. And, of course, we know all about, about Satan. And uh, Jesus talked about... Uh, uh, remember, Jesus uh, spoke to the Pharisees. We, we've been studying this in our men's Bible study Wednesday night. But in John chapter 8, verses 44 and 45, Jesus looked at the Pharisees, the looking good Christians, the acting good Christians, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus in their heart. All right? He says to them, and everybody else thought they're righteous. They're going to heaven. Woo! You can follow them, trust them. Trust what they say. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I say truth, I, because I say the truth, you not do not believe in me. And in closing, I want you to turn to Second Corinthians with me. Go to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Second Corinthians eleven, verse thirteen. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen. Now here, Paul, too, just like John, is speaking about these kind of people. Paul makes it even clearer. Look at verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 11. For such men are false, <clears throat> are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. There's the Gnostics right there. They look good. They smell good. They, they they look like Christians. They look like real good Bible teachers. And he says, verse fourteen. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come out to, to us and go, "Hey, I'm here. Hey, I got some good stuff for you right here." It's me, the devil. You know, you're going to like this. Hey, come on over. No, what does he do? Satan disguises himself. Always has He's a, he's a deceiver, right? father of lies. He disguises himself in such a way that we, will, we can, if we're not careful, we can fall for someone or something that he has disguised so well. And it may be a teacher. It may be a preacher that you have been you will hear and they might be famous they may not but you listen to them on social media or or wherever and you grab a book and and you think wow man he sounds good but on, when you go in deep and you really see what he's saying you begin to find if you begin to find error things that are contrary to the word of God, you realize Satan has covered it up with light, but inside is darkness. And that's what John is trying to do too. Watch out for the deceivers. Dear Christians, dear church, be careful out there because Satan is going, is going to try and cause each one of us to get carried away by some wind of doctrine that's not, not in, found in Scripture That doesn't line up with Scripture. And then look at verse 15. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Whose end shall be according to their deeds. You see, you and I have the Holy Spirit living within us as if we're true believers. And he is going to... uh, be convicting us when we are faced with temptation. We might fall into temptation here and there on occasion, but we don't make it a lifestyle. We struggle with it, but it's the Holy Spirit that will help us when we realize who God is and how much he loves us. And do I love him enough not to sin? A group of teens were enjoying a party. Someone suggested that they go to a certain bar for a good time. And girl Jan said to her date, I'd rather you took me home. My parents don't approve of that place. Afraid your father will hurt you? Another girl said sarcastically. Jan said, No, I'm not afraid my father will hurt me, but I am afraid I might hurt him. I might hurt him. That is what is going to keep me from stepping across that line. If I keep the Lord central, Jesus in my heart and mind, and I'm fixed on Him, and it's not of my strength, my power, to to not sin. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can do it. But if I remember His heart, how much He loves me, that He sent His Son to die in my place on that cross. That do I care that I sin during the day in any way that would, would, would cause me to bring hurt to my heavenly father who gave so much for me and loved me so much. You see, she had it right. And may we live that way. Live in a way that, will, that, that, that we will seek to to not hurt his heart. And be aware of those around us who are have the masks on, they're pretending, but their life, you look at their life and it gives every evidence that they are not born again. Oh, my friends, let us watch out for deception, but take courage. Guess what? You are in the palm of his hand. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You are secure forever. You have eternal security. Heaven is your home. Let's pray. As we bow this morning and close our service, dear Christian, would you just say to the Lord right now, Lord, help me to beware of deceivers. Give me a discerning heart. Open my eyes to see false teaching. Keep me from the false teachers and the false ways, Lord, that may come into my path. And help me, Lord, to continue to seek to live a life that's pleasing to you and a a life that won't cause pain and hurt in your heart. Dear Christian, would you do that right now? If that is your desire, and if there's sin in your life, Christian, confess it right now. Just confess it, he will forgive you. Remember, John said, if, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he'll do that right now. Christian, he'll just wash away your sin, forgive you, and you go on. You get up, don't walk in guilt, but you've been forgiven, and you are a child of God, and you continue to seek to live a life separated unto him. If you're here this morning without Christ, you're lost. You're not going to heaven. You need to make sure you're saved. And Jesus is calling you and saying, come unto me, and I will give you forgiveness. I'll give you rest of your soul. I'll give you everlasting life. And I'll give you a place in heaven, but you must come to me. If you're ready to do that, ready to trust Jesus who died for you on that cross, to took the punishment for your sin, would you pray with me now? Just pray a simple prayer like this. This is a prayer of faith that you are telling him that you believe in him as the son of God and this, your savior and Lord. Just say quietly in your heart, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus, you are now saved. You've been born again. And I welcome you to the family. Your sins have been forgiven. Heavenly Father, take these decisions, Lord. Father, thank you for any who have trusted Christ today as Savior. And Father, I pray for each believer. Lord, for any commitments made in the heart there. Lord, with the desire to walk in obedience to your word and to walk a sanctified life. Father, I pray that you would bless them, and Lord, we know that you will honor them for that commitment, and you will give them the strength through the power of your Holy Spirit to live a victorious life. And we'll thank you and praise you for this as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.